All right. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the AI Stories podcast. I'm Neil Leiser. I'm a data scientist at IWOCA, and I will be your host. So today, we've got Lindsay Mana, who is the Executive Vice President in Business Development and Strategic Partnerships at Aria NLG. Lindsay first did a bachelor in economics at Drew University. And after university, she decides to join Diligent, which is a major government risk and compliance SaaS provider. She works there for a few years. She brings the company from a concept to an IPO. And a couple of years later, she decides to join the world of AI and joins Aria NLG which is a world leader in natural language generation. And it's essentially an AI company which transforms structured data into natural language. So hi, Lindsay. I'm so happy and excited to have you here with me today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here too. Great. Great to hear this. So first of all, I know that you started your career as a musician, is that right? So do you want to tell me a bit more about this and how you make this transition from musician to being interested in technology and AI? Yeah, well, yeah, I did start as a musician and I actually entered university as a music major. So that that is where I started and I continued. Of course, I'm still a musician. Musicians never stop being musicians. I sing, I play the piano, but I think that there is a direct correlation between musicians and mathematics and science because you use a lot of those areas of your brain when you're a musician. So uh, fun fact, I think I'll have to take a poll here at ARIA, but I think we're probably pushing 75 to 90% of ARIA employees are musicians. So I always ask when somebody new is onboarded, are you a musician? And Nine times out of 10, they say yes. And I think that that's fascinating. So there's probably a lot of musicians in the world of AI and science and math. But I took a course in economics and I fell in love with business. And my professor at the time was Professor Fred Curtis. So I'll give him a shout out. He has since retired, but he made me fall in love with economics and international finance at the time. So so I made the switch. He converted me. And I think that the fascination um, as you shift into software and into artificial intelligence is there's a lot of underlying similarities when it comes to creativity uh, and innovation, because when you're writing a song or being creative and innovative and trying new things, that's very much what we do in the world of AI. So I think that that's probably what's led me in this direction because you're breaking new ground, you're doing new things, and you're being very creative and using your mind to to do things that have never been done before. So it's a lot of fun. I see. So you make the transition to economics, you finish your bachelor, and then you decide to join the world of technology. You join Diligent, a SaaS provider company. So Do you want to tell me a bit more about your experience at Diligent? Why do you join the company and what did you do there? So Diligent, although not an AI company, was changing the world and innovating. They were the first ever company to digitize a board book. So previous to Diligent, board members were pulling around a trolley of paper that was probably uh, two or three feet high, literally. 
of, of board materials, a very laborious redlining process for, for board meetings. It was very manual and it was not digital. It was not digital. It was physical paper. <laughs> and so we were, we were also working with, uh, and this is not uh, 1970, this is 2003. We went public in 2007. So, so the world of, of the boardroom in the early 2000s was still very manual uh, and, and paper. It was physical paper still at the time in the, in the early 2000s. And so hard um, to believe this. Hard it's hard believe. now, right? It's hard now to believe that. But if I think back to university, I was using a payphone. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, technology has moved fast in the last 20, 25 years. Um, so, so we were transforming what the boardroom looked like, how the boardroom operated with technology. And so it wasn't just SaaS to fill a specific need. It was SaaS that was changing the world with the largest companies on the planet and changing the way that the boardroom operated and functioned. So you mentioned you were innovating the boardroom. What what do you mean by boardroom? Can you give an illustration of how it was before you mentioned paperwork and what your technology was providing essentially? Yeah, so it's a, it's a digital board book. So it's a board book, you know, uh, online. So it's digital, mm -hmm. it's digitizing the board book. And before there was actually like a red pen and paper and they would be editing ahead of the board meeting okay. uh, and, and really kind of working through the, through the night. A lot of the admins that were supporting this function would work around the clock and they'd be there at the printer, you know, getting the, the fresh, the, you know, the most up-to-date copy ready before the board meeting would occur. There were issues with this. Of course, the redlining process was, was really hard to track, track changes, who made the change, why the change was made. So tracking changes was a really big struggle, but then also just that crunch right up until the meeting, right? You, you kind of lost time when you could only edit up until a certain point, but then things keep happening <laughs> the day of the meeting, right? Or two days before the meeting. So putting it in a, in a piece of software that people could use allowed them to be really up to the minute in terms of information, allowed them to track edits, approve changes and approve edits. And then it gave them a place where, of course, now they just had to bring their laptop or iPad and they didn't, or, you know, sur surface, and they didn't have to lug, physically lug, you know, files, <laughs> you know, their cartons. These, these board materials can be really, really big, big documents of paper back and forth to different meetings. So, That, that's in the most simple, simple form, what it achieved, what the software achieved for our customers. Okay. Yeah, no, that's totally clear. So centralizing everything in a single place, digitalizing it and allowing everyone to making edits easier and also enabling everyone to avoid having to print papers and reduce stress essentially and making yeah. things just simpler. And from a compliance perspective, now there is a log. It's recorded who made the changes. The documents are saved and archived. Hard to do that with paper. Yeah, exactly. Okay, makes sense. And so you mentioned that in 27, the company did his IPO. So you started at the beginning, I think, of the company or in the middle, but you brought the company from a concept to an IPO. So what did you do? How did you? make this happen essentially. Yeah. So I was there from the beginning and that's 
probably most companies' goals. There's different different strategies for growth, but it was certainly our goal. You know, once we started growing and, and growing our customer base to take the company public, it really allows for a liquidity event for shareholders as well, which is can be very important because we had a lot of early investors that believed in us, uh, angel investors that believed in our company. A lot of those investors, most of them are also a part of the ARIA family and ARIA owners. So more success here in, in another company. But yeah, I mean, the process is certainly you know, a proper go-to-market plan and, and growing your customer base with the Fortune 100, Fortune 500 is very, very important. So that was that was a huge strategy early on is, is growing that customer base with a very strong product. But then it's all about having all of the processes, procedures, and infrastructure in place to go public. So that means all the accounting systems, all the checks and balances, all the security mechanisms. So you have to operate like a public company many years before you actually go public. So that's something that I learned there and have continued to take into my career forward is the ability to implement all the proper software processes and procedures so that you're actually ready to be audited and, you know, to start shopping underwriters and, and to be ready to take a company public. So the process is laborious. It takes an army to, to do it, but it's very gratifying. Uh, once you get there. Okay, makes sense. So you already know before 27, I guess, that you wanted to do the IPO and you made sure everything would be ready. Yes. And, okay, okay. That makes sense. So you stay five, six years at Diligent. You do quite well here. And then a couple of years later, you decide to join the world of AI. You start to get interested in AI and join Aria and LG. So first of all, can you tell me a bit more about why you want to join Aria and why do you suddenly get interested in AI? Yeah, so Diligent started around between 2000, 2003. We went public in 2007. And then in 2010, 2011, maybe early 2011, one of our shareholders introduced us to myself and a few of the other diligent founders, to Dr. Ehud Ryder and Dr. Yajri Sripada. And those are the founding scientists of ARIA NLG, formerly known as Data2Text. And they are located in Aberdeen, Scotland, on the campus of the University of Aberdeen. And so we were introduced to them by a mutual connection and by a shareholder who said, listen, we know this group that took a concept to reality with Diligent, and we really think you need to meet them. And so at the time, Ehud and Yaji were looking to commercialize what they had started to build. And they were working with some very large oil and gas companies. They were working with the Med Office and in some neonatal use cases and some medical use cases, but they were looking for a group that could help them commercialize the technology. And they were shopping for that. So we were introduced to them. And when I saw it for the first time, I know exactly where I was. I know exactly where I was sitting. And my daughter had had just been born, my second child in 2011. And when I saw it for the first time, I was speechless. And I thought this technology is going to change the world. And the difference between what ARIA does and what Diligent did was Diligent was a very specific software for a very specific group of people 
for a very specific use case. Digitize your boardwalk. And every company has a, every public company and, and non-public company, they have boards and boards of directors. So it's not that the reach wasn't across multiple industries. Of course it was. But the fascinating thing about natural language generation technology is it's not specific to a specific group within an organization. Everyone can use it. It's so pervasive, right? So I thought, wow, and you could get easily overwhelmed when you think about natural language generation technology, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more today, but this is going to be everywhere. My car is going to talk to me about what's wrong with it. My every, everything that you do as you walk through life, you know, before the meeting and after the meeting were two different perspectives on the world for me before being introduced to NLG and after understanding what it is and what it's capable of. I saw the world differently and what the world could be differently. I I thought I I have to be a part of this. This is going to change the world. And I want to be a part of making the world a better place and a smarter place. So very cool. Very interesting, actually. So you realize already in 2011, it's still the beginning of AI or not even yet. I think the boom starts a bit after that. You realize that AI can change the world and that you want to be part of this revolution. Essentially, Diligent had some impact, but you wanted to have a big impact on a lot of companies all around the world. Is that right? Exactly. You talked a lot about natural language generation, we're going to dive a bit deeper into this. But first of all, can you explain a bit more what natural language generation is and what ARIA is doing essentially? Yeah. So in simple terms, natural language generation takes structured data. So zeros and ones, or could be text too, but structured data, structured file, like a table or a CSV or a nested structure like a JSON file. And it turns that into language. That's at the most simple term. So regardless of the language that you speak or understand, it's going to turn it into whatever language you can comprehend and into a form that you can understand. So how I speak to my six-year-old is different than how I speak to my 13-year-old and is certainly different than a conversation that I would have with Dr. Ahid Ryder, founder of NLG Science, right? So everybody has different comprehension levels. So that's another important piece. So what ARIA does, I'll go back to those three pieces. We do math to create more math, right? More numbers, analytics. We are not replacing your analytics tool, but you can do math in our tool. And then we translate that through language models These are algorithms that decide what words to use, what sentence to use, what phrases together to use, and even how to orchestrate your thoughts, just like you would orchestrate a document, a summary, the key facts, a conclusion, right? And how to organize that. And then we also do computational linguistics, which as a math and science nerd myself, isn't my favorite thing, (laughs) even though I work for a language company. This is proper use of nouns, verbs, adjectives, punctuation, right? Putting everything together into a a proper structure. And so those three things are what is done to create the process between data and language itself. And I'd say one of the things that fascinated me Uh, In addition to the fact that it was going to be used everywhere and it was going to change the world was what our brains do 
is, is math to create words. And I got to test this like a scientist on my children that I had after learning about NLG. My third son, who's six, I had him in 2015. I was deep into NLG at that point. And he was a real lab experiment for me when it came to uh, language models. And what you find is that humans learn language models very quickly, but they use them. You actually can watch the mathematical calculations. So I'll use one quick example. Mommy, that's big. Mommy, that's big. Or that's a big hill, mommy. That's a mathematical calculation that a child is doing to decide what measurement in their mind equals big. So they're actually performing math to say the word big. And that's very simple, but somebody does at the age of one or in their first few few weeks of speaking. But humans do that and evolve that capability as adults when we are describing, for example, attribution of a portfolio. This portfolio overperformed or outperformed the benchmark. Same thing. So, so those concepts are actually our ability to communicate in words or my ability to transfer what I know to you is me really drawing on my knowledge bank and calculating what to say, when to say it, in what order to say it so that you can understand something that I understand. And underneath it all, it's all math. Okay. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. This notion of translating words to math and at what point do we overperform? At what point do we perform? At what point do we underperform? Those are abstract notions, but you can actually put numbers into those terms. So let me just make sure that I understand well. Arya, what you're essentially doing is processing structured data, which means a data set, a big data set, let's say, for example, of portfolio, as you mentioned, you will pass this data set through your algorithm And then your algorithm is going to say, oh, here are the five interesting things about this data set. For example, this portfolio overperforms, as you mentioned, whereas this one did not do as well. If you compare those two, one did significantly better than the other one. Is that what your algorithm is doing? Translating a data set into interesting bullet points. Precisely, yes. And you even used a really fun math word that takes quite a bit of math significantly outperformed this other one. So in order to say the word significantly, there is a mathematical equation to say a word like that, right? And it might be different from one company to the next. What do you consider significant versus what do I consider significant, right? But then also what caused that? So we do a lot with drivers and offsets. So what attributed to the fact that that portfolio outperformed the benchmark, for example, we'll stay on this example. These are the following things within the data, right, that caused that performance to be positive attractors. And these are the following holdings that caused a detraction from your ability to perform well in your portfolio. So the algorithms are all there to describe not only what happened, but why or how did that number move? Why or how did that happen? And then what I like to call the, so what, who cares what's next? Okay. Now I know what happened and why it happened. What do I do? What do I do? And some of our customers will even use the language models to put together sentences to say, well, now what do I do next? Right. What's that action? And and the whole goal of NLG is to empower humans to take action, to get up out of their chairs and do something about what they know now to impact their business. Okay, that's very cool. So it's not only saying 
what you observe in the data, but also why the algorithm thinks that that's important. And so you, it's essentially providing some arguments, right, of why he thinks that this is important. It's important because I see this, this, and this in the data. And so I can confirm that that's important. Yeah, and that's important for humans to trust technology, right? And, and AI specifically is explainability, explainability of the model, and then explainability of why that number moved. Because if I'm an analyst myself, I want to go and prove that, right? I want to have certainty. So of course, the data is the data. So the data doesn't lie. So you're not going to have errors, <laughs> certainly in your written explanations, but understanding why that number was the way it was, and then even explainability of the model, why the model derived this conclusion helps humans to trust and then empowers them with confidence to use technology more. So can you maybe, I think that's already quite clear, but I think it would be interesting to have just a short example of a customer who is using your technology and how what they are using it for. How do they make use of your product to empower their system, essentially? Sure. So we work across multiple industries here at Aria. So we have all different industries listed on our website from BFSI, banking, financial services, and insurance, to pharmaceutical companies, consumer product good companies, retail, sports betting, uh, sports books, uh, which is really fun use cases that, that we're involved in. I mentioned oil and gas earlier, lots of different industries, robo journalism or bionic journalism, as I like to say, and news, right? News and insights. So lots of different industries. We have very strict non-disclosure, certainly in the financial space. So I'm going to pick one from the pharmaceutical industry. So we are working with a number of the top pharmaceutical companies on the planet of the top five. We're actually working with four of the top five, which is really, we're really, really proud. So we work with Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson in production, and all have been certainly very busy during COVID, helping us to move on and, and saving lives. But AstraZeneca specifically, they were one of our first many, many years ago in the pharmaceutical industry. And what we find with most of our customers, even outside of the pharmaceutical industry, is they start with the digital finance function. So they start with their finance teams. And the reason I believe that they start with their finance teams is because everything rolls up into that at the end of the day, increase revenue or decrease costs, right? So at the end of the day, all these different business units report up and into this finance organization that has to direct the business on a path forward. So we find that they start there because that really is the hub of performance, the hub of business performance. And digitizing that finance function is critical to understanding what parts of the business to focus on, right? And, and how to drive more productivity, more revenue, and decrease costs. So AstraZeneca started in the digital finance function, empowering their finance teams um, on top of their MicroStrategy business intelligence dashboards. So that was their first rollout, multiple financial reports on top of MicroStrategy. So before they had visuals, which are very, very powerful and a very powerful tool in terms of data understanding and comprehension, but you don't want to leave it to, to interpretation of what those visuals mean. And sometimes there's things happening inside of the data that you can't see, that you can't see. 
So the ultimate form of communication is language, which is why I'm speaking to you today and not drawing pictures only. I could facilitate this conversation with visuals, but the two together are very, very powerful. So across their finance organization, they added narratives, narrative explanations right inside of their dashboards to help facilitate better, faster, accurate, smart decision-making up into their financial executives and leaders. So they've been doing that for, for many, many years in production. They continue to expand and do more with Aria, and we're really, really proud proud to work with them. And it has followed suit with our other pharmaceutical clients. And as I said, with other clients in different industries, typically most of our clients, regardless of which industry, they start with that digital finance function, empowering the finance teams to understand the data faster so they can impact the business. Okay. So the main function you would say is understanding whether what's going on with your costs and revenues and which area can you optimize essentially to either increase revenue or decrease cost. Right. And then you can drill into that area. So if it's a specific sales function or a marketing function or or something that's happening with logistics that's really driving your business, whether that's an attractor or detractor to your numbers, then you can then drill, drill into that. And what we find is that because NLG is pervasive, the company will say, well, it's been working great in finance. We need more insights into the marketing, or we need more insights into sales, or we need more insights into logistics. We want to apply NLG to those dashboards or to those data sets. So it it becomes a domino effect within the organization. They start to apply it in multiple different business units as they start to use the technology. Very interesting. And it actually makes me think what your algorithm is doing makes me think of my consulting interviews. I, ha- I did a few interviews for consulting firms where they ask you, okay, something is wrong with my company. And then your goal is to find out, all right, is it revenues? Is it costs? And then once you've identified, yes, it is revenues, you need to identify, is it the product? Is it the market? Is it the competitors? So is your technology aiming at replacing consultant and also data analyst. What's your view on this? Is it like a replacement or is it empowering? What do you think? It's definitely an empowerment. There was a lot of news and media coverage back in 2014, 2015. The trends back then were the robots are taking over. There was this huge media push about five, six years ago, robots are taking over. And I saw, and I said, this is nonsense. You know, this is total clickbait. The robots will never take over. That's not realistic. So there's different evolutions and and revolutions. Like when we go back to the industrial revolution, the purpose of that, right? The digital revolution, right? I think right now what's actually happening is quite a renaissance and it's a human revolution. So what's actually happening to humans? And I think COVID actually catapulted us into this mindset of being human again. I think that NLG takes the machine out of the man. I felt like a machine. That's what I did. Every, I mean, I lived in Excel. I lived in Mass 500. And I was a human calculator for 10 years. <laughs> and I don't want to go back to that. You didn't enjoy this. Well... I love math, but what I really enjoyed was helping the business. So once I understood something that happened in the numbers, I knew what to go tell my boss to do, right? Or, hey, I think we should be looking at this. 
We need to look at this line of the PL. We need to look at this line of the balance sheet. This is this is what's affecting our cash flow. That's when I felt useful. That's when I felt empowered to do something. So knowledge is power. Ad old saying. Everybody's heard it. Knowledge is power. How do I obtain knowledge? I can do it through manual analytics myself, or you can tell me something right now, Neil. Tell me, make me knowledgeable now, and then that's going to impact what I do. That's going to impact what I do. So this is absolutely not, humans don't go away, but allows you to do more with the humans that you have. And it always feels silly to use the word humans to me, but, but with the people that you have, you can do more. You can do more. And what we find when we talk to analysts before and after using NLG technology, and a lot of our customers have done internal polls and interviews of the analytical teams before and after using NLG technology, and 100% of the time, 100%. So when they say, you know, now when they say, oh, we're going to do this survey internally, I say, do the survey. Do the survey. Let's hear what they have to say. They feel more confident about their job. They're more excited to come to work. They feel like those mundane, repetitive tasks have been removed, and they feel like they're making a difference in their company. They're doing human things. And so I think if you talk to any analyst on the planet, they're going to say what's their favorite part of their job is not crunching the numbers. It's impacting the business after they've crunched the numbers. That's right. That's what people love to do. Humans love to do human things. So you leave the boring, repetitive tasks to the algorithm and you enable the humans to have even more impact, changing even more things by gaining more knowledge through those algorithms, essentially. Precisely. So I now want to focus on the algorithmic part of your product just a few questions to better understand what's going on behind your product. The first one is what kind of algorithms do you use? You mentioned it's that the output is kind of explainable. It gives some arguments into what it's proposing. So is it a simple model or is it more something like deep learning, transformers? What's, what's working behind the hood, essentially? Yep. So we talked about math. So there's simple math, there's complex math, a two-tailed Z test, right? Standard deviation, right? We look at bell curves, all that kind of math. So we'll slide that to the side. We'll talk about the math to say language or the algorithms to, to say language. And the answer to your question is it depends in terms of simple to complex. So there's very simple things that you could say. Sales increased by 5%. That's really basic. Actually, you could do that with Excel. You could do that with mail merge. Sales increased or decreased would be comparing if the number went up or down, buy, and then fill in your value. Uh, for me, that's not really NLG. That's mail merge, right? That's a form fill. Not too exciting. But sometimes some of our summaries will start with something like that, but then get into more granular detail and use words like significantly. So earlier today, you used the word. As I did. As I did. I'm, so I'm, I'm the more complex algorithm. Yeah. So the word significantly requires a more complex algorithm. So it depends on what you want to say. At ARIA, we have our own programming language called ATL, Articulate Text Language. Some people have said it looks a little bit like Python, 
but Python didn't have what we needed in order to translate data to text. So it is our own proprietary scripting language that, that is used inside of our tool, ARIA NLG Studio. And it does lots of different things. We have over 170 functions in our tool that will do mathematical calculations. They'll do language calculations. So the ability to pluralize. Countable is an important function. How many things are you talking about? And then that decides whether you pluralize it or if you put it in a paragraph or a form of bullet points. And right. So, so how are you going to compose? But the algorithms that will that are used, you can use traditional mathematical algorithms, you can use some of the, the functions that we have in our software that, that create language, but then you also mentioned deep learning and machine learning, and that's pattern recognition. Even some of the complex language models out there, pattern recognition. So, so yes, those can be used as well. In some of these systems, you can use a machine learning model either as you're ingesting the data, so the results of a machine learning model can be used by our customers, you might use machine learning to do things as you're, as you're creating, like the autocomplete of a sentence or the autocomplete of a script, right? That's as we're creating. Or on the output side, a feedback loop, right? A feedback loop, which is pattern recognition to then empower the data that comes in or, or what's used. So it's not that complex when you think about it. They're all, it's all just math at the end of the day. AI, no one should fear AI. It's all there. You could touch it. You can feel it. You can see the math that was used to create it. There should be no black curtains. It's all accessible to everyone that is interested in seeing what's, you know, what's under the hood. And there are simple algorithms that are used and models that are used to create straightforward, simple outputs. And then it absolutely can get more complex and sophisticated as you create more complex and sophisticated outputs on the other side. So, okay, I see you're using a right variety of tools and algorithms to get different outputs, I guess, from simple to complex. In the more complex algorithms, how would you train them? Like, how do you make them learn and tell them, you have this data, that's what's important. You should say A, B, C, because that's the most important things in this data. It looks something very complex. So can you give just the intuition behind how you would make those algorithms learn what's important. Yeah. So there's two schools of thought today when it comes to natural language generation. So the listeners that are listening to this that are experts in NLG uh, will be very familiar with these two schools of thought. And our belief at ARIA is the two schools of thought are coming together and are joining forces. So the first school of thought is deterministic NLG. And some folks might have heard of this as rule-based NLG. I call it deterministic NLG. And this is where the human that is configuring the model has complete control over the model. Deterministic NLG. So I teach, right, through ARIA NLG Studio, through the models that I put together in ARIA, that's in ATL, in our programming language. I tell it how to behave. When you receive this, you say that. When you see this, you say this other thing, deterministic, right? Never say this other thing. I don't care what the data says. Don't ever say this. Don't ever use this word. Here at XYZ company, we don't say it that way. We say it this way. Complete control. That is very important for trust when it comes to AI. When you're in finance teams, when you're in highly regulated environments, we do a lot 
I mentioned pharmaceutical, I mentioned digital finance. We also do a lot with clinical safety reports, right? And, and compliance reports that go to the FDA, for example. They need precision, complete control, no deviation, right? Precision, 100% accuracy, 100% of the time. So the deterministic methods of NLG are very important. One, when you're getting started, for sure, because that helps with trust, trusting the AI. I know exactly what it's going to do. I have complete control. I know I trained it myself, right? Or there was an approval process, certainly internally, and it's going to say this thing. It's never going to deviate. It's always going to be that. The data will change it, but right, it's deterministic, but the outputs can change based off the data. The other school of thought is when you look at NLG like GPT-3, which is completely, right, pattern recognition ways to do NLG. So AI and AI. Well, machine learning, deep learning. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. all AI. NLG is AI. Deterministic NLG is still AI. Okay. But, but yeah, so, so the machine learning, the deep learning ways of doing things. And that's not controlled. Mm-hmm. It's, it's taking lots of different bodies of text, or as we call it, corpora, and it will spit out sometimes the wrong thing. A lot of people talk about hallucinations, hallucinations coming from it. And if you're on a finance team at the largest pharmaceutical company on the planet, you cannot afford a hallucination, mm-hmm. a hallucination. Not happening, right? So, uh, and it depends on the use case too, right? Because if you're if you're creating ad content or news articles, uh, you don't want fake news certainly, but you know the use case might allot for a more machine learning, deep learning model, uh, uh, lang- uh, you know, a neural a neural NLG model to be used. Still pattern recognition. I mean, all that neural deep machine pattern recognition, right? That's what it is. So. There's, there's this other school of thought that that's the best way to create NLG. And the truth is, in our opinion here at Aria, it's a combination of both that will really be the most powerful, not one or the other. And it's about using both ways in the right way for the right use case. So we absolutely you know, use, use machine learning and deep learning, and there's, there's places for that, and there's places for deterministic approaches to NLG both exist. We believe in using them together uh, for the right use cases. Maybe there's a specific use case that should be deterministic only. No, no neural machine deep model learning model being used, right? And in others, you can kind of go to that level of the spectrum or come somewhere in between. Okay. So I guess you have one which is more rule-based, the deterministic part, right? It's you give it an input and it's always going to give the same output in some sense, whereas the other one is more powerful, but you have less control. And so combining the two, it enables you to combine power with control, if this is what I understand well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but based off the use case, right? The use case will really drive which which school of thought when it comes to NLG that you can use. And so both both are very powerful, but certainly when it comes to Neural models, you don't want the wrong output to come out, right? So, so that's where the control becomes really important. So I think we're going to continue to see in the next few years, NLG will continue to evolve. And my prediction is these two schools of thought will continue to come more and more together to offer a controlled, very powerful experience. 
my intuition was it would just be deep learning, big models. And then I, I had a few questions like, how do you control for this? But I think your approach makes sense. Combining big or deep models with simpler ones, which are rule-based to have a more complete product. So I now want to switch to the last part of the interview. Just ask you two questions more regarding your career, your experience, because you've done quite a lot. You've been in the AI world for a few years. You've been in the technology for even more. So the first thing is maybe regarding your role at ARIA, what's the biggest decision that you've made there? You're focusing a lot on strategy and business development. So what's the biggest decision that you've made? The biggest decision that I've made in terms of ability to impact the business or... Yes, yes, to impact the business. Well, I would say from a sales and business development perspective, it's focusing on where the world is. And what I mean by that is who is ready for technology. So the early adopters, focusing on early adopters is really important. Focusing on any time you're in a the place of new technology or innovative technology, you want to be with people that are going to adopt it now, are going to go to production now, who understand what you offer and what you do and the value of what you have and focus there. I think that focus is a really important thing. You can, lots of industries, lots of people can use this. It can be very overwhelming because it's pervasive, but I would say from a business development perspective, focus on the market that's ready for your product. We've seen that heavily in pharmaceutical companies and no surprise, there have historically been early adopters of new technology because they compete in time to market. They actually don't compete on the tech, they compete on time to market, who can get to market fast with the best product. In the financial services industry, BFSI, they don't compete on product, they compete on technology, which is why they don't like to share what technology they're using. So so they compete on who has the latest and greatest tech to drive their business forward. And so those two industries, I'll couple it in BFSI, banking, financial service, insurance, and pharmaceutical, which can branch into consumer product goods a bit with companies like Johnson & Johnson, they are have historically been early adopters of new innovative technology. So focus where the buyers are. And I'd say that's probably the biggest impact that I can provide to ARIA is focusing on where the buyers are today. Because of course, reference selling is the most powerful way to land new business. So once you get to where the buyers are, you can stay in an area where you can expand quickly and grow your business quickly. I will end the conversation with just one advice. If you had one advice for someone to progress in his or her career, what would be this advice? Read. Read. Read the read the publications that are relevant to your space, read and follow the influencers in your space and and the mentors that you have. What are they reading? What publications do they read? Where are the leaders in that space? What's going on in that space? Knowledge is power. I said that earlier in a different context, but I say it again, the more you know, the more empowered you are to to make a difference to, to the people that you're really selling yourself to. So, so the biggest asset on my team is people that know more than I do. I want to hire up. So everybody that I hire, I want somebody to know more than I do. I don't have to know what they know. 
but I want to surround myself with people that know more than me, people that are smarter than I am. Being an asset to your company means knowing everything about your space and being current on what's happening in the world and in in the space that you're passionate about. And that makes work really easy because if you love what you do, like I do, it doesn't feel like work. It's a lot of fun and you'll enjoy reading those things. So read. We'll definitely read a lot of articles tonight just to (laughs) catch up with our advice. But yeah, Lindsay, thank you so much for this conversation. It was great to have your view on natural language generation and AI and also share your experience. So yeah, thank you so much. Have a good evening or a good day in the US, I guess. And yeah, hope to catch up soon. Great. Thanks for having me, Neil.